The Lord be with you, friends. It's a privilege to join you in this online worship gathering as we celebrate the 10-year anniversary of Pillars Reestablishment. If you're new to this place, maybe you've never, never actually even been to this place, 10 years ago, 2012, Pillar decided to chart a different course for its future. Decided to become a church for the city, committed to reconciling divisions and raising up leaders, redeeming the city and renewing the church. And the Lord has been good to us, if I can borrow from the psalmist. The Lord has been good to us. So because we're celebrating, I've asked a few friends to help me, Ellie and Ellie. Ellie and her sister Ellie, not biological sisters, but they're in the same sorority. The Dorians, that's the purple team around Hope's campus. They are awesome. If you're looking for a good conversation, find Ellie and Ellie after church. Last Sunday, they came up to me on the lawn and they were like, that sermon was amazing. And I was like, will you be my best friends? So we've been tight ever since. I've asked them to read for us Ellie from Leslie Newbegin, Gospel in a Pluralist Society, and Ellie from Emmanuel Katangale and Chris Rice in a book titled Reconciling All Things. When Pillar was reestablishing itself, we were trying to find language for what God was putting into our hearts, and both of those helped us. Listen to this. If the gospel is to challenge the public life of our society... It will only be by movements that begin with the local congregation in which the reality of the new creation is present, known, and experienced, and from which men and women will go into every sector of public life to claim it for Christ, to unmask the illusions which have remained hidden, and to expose all areas of public life to the illumination of the gospel. But that will only happen as and when local congregations renounce an introverted concern for their own life and recognize that they exist for the sake of those who are not members as sign, instrument, and foretaste of God's redeeming grace for the whole life of society. As we were trying to reestablish ourselves, those were the words that put wind in our sails. Renounce an introverted concern for your own life and exist as sign, instrument, and foretaste of God's redeeming grace for the whole life of society. I love Leslie Newbegin. Now Ellie's going to read for us from Katangale and Rice. The speed of reconciliation meets a wall when it is measured by what is nearest to us. When we see the task as being reconciled within our own homes, families, and congregations, somehow the world can be so busy talking about a global vision for overcoming violence, yet we cannot fix the relationships in our own churches, or find healing with an alienated relative, or even overcome our own anger towards those who have wounded us. Reconciliation, God's heartbeat for the whole world. So Pillar reestablished itself 10 years ago with those twin sentinels on our horizon. And the Lord has been good to us. That's the psalm I've wanted us to gather around the last few weeks. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has been good to you. The Lord has been good to you. And I don't know, maybe because it's September 11, I don't know, maybe the the date is triggering in my mind the images of 21 years ago. We need the Lord to be good to us. War still ravages Ukraine, stabbings in Canada and more. Weapons of destruction in our cities than anyone wants to count. We need the Lord to be good to us. And not just the big macro stuff that hits the major headlines. It's the local stuff too. I heard recently we are 3,000 daycare slots short 
in Ottawa County? What's it like to be a working parent with those odds? And you've heard about the affordable housing crisis in West Michigan. It's not getting any affordable, by the way. Or just the argumentative ethos in which we exist. You pick the topic, we'll pick the fight. We need the Lord to be good to us. And all, the, all this angst that swirls in our world, the sadness that, that breaks our hearts, it's not actually new to us. It's, it, our circumstances might be unique to us, but it's been going on for a long time long time, this destruction and devastation and violence and sadness and despair of so many different kinds. It's been going on for a long, long time, and we need the Lord to be good to us. Listen with me to a true story. It's a good story of destruction and devastation and corruption and violence and pain. I want you to Pay attention to God in the story. The Lord saw that the wickedness of humankind was great on the earth. And every inclination of the thoughts of their hearts was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he made humankind on the earth. And it grieved him to his heart. The Lord said, I will blot out every human being from the earth that I have created, people together with animals, birds of the air, and creeping things, for I am sorry that I have made them. But, Noah found favor in the sight of the Lord. These are the descendants of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now, the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw that the earth was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted its ways upon the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to put an end to all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I will blot out every living creature. Make for yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in the ark. Cover it on the inside and on the out with pitch. And the Lord said to Noah, go into the ark, you and your household, for you alone I found righteous in this generation. Take seven pairs of clean animals, the male and its mate, and a pair of unclean animals, the male and its mate, and seven pairs of birds, male and female, to keep their kind alive on the face of the earth. In seven days, I'm going to send rain on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights and blot out every living creature on the face of the earth. And Noah did as God had commanded him. Noah was 600 years old when the waters of the flood came upon the earth. And Noah and his wife and his sons and his sons' wives went into the ark to escape the flood. And of every clean animal and of every animal that's not clean and of every bird of the air and every creeping thing of the ground, two and two, male and female, they went into the ark with Noah as God had commanded. And after seven days, the rains came upon the earth. 
And after 40 days, the rains continued, and the, and the waters swelled and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The, the, waters, the waters increased and swelled mightily, and the, and the ark floated across the face of the waters. The waters swelled so mightily and increased, they covered every mountain under the whole heaven underneath them. And the waters swelled so mightily, they covered the, the high mountains 15 cubits deep. And all flesh died that was on the earth. Human beings and animals and birds and swarming things that swarm the earth. He blotted out every living thing, human beings and animals and birds and creeping things. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. And the rains continued for 150 days. But God remembered Noah and the wild animals and the domestic animals that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth and the waters subsided and the, and the fountain of the deep and the windows of heaven were closed and the rains were restrained and the waters began to subside. The waters abated for 150 days. And in the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. And after 10 months, in the 10th month, on the, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains appeared. And Noah opened the window of the ark and let out the raven to see if the waters of the earth were dry. Then, then, Noah, then Noah sent the dove out from the ark to go to and fro, but it found no place to set its foot, and it came back to him because, there was the, because the water was still on the face of the earth. And Noah reached out his hand and, and took it and brought it into the ark with him. And after seven days, he sent out the dove again, and it came back to him in the evening. And there in its beak was a freshly plucked olive leaf, and Noah knew the waters had subsided. And after seven days, he sent the dove out again, and it did not return to him anymore. And in the 601st year, in the first month, on the first day of the month, the earth was dry. And in the second month, and, and Noah took off the covering of the ark, and in the second month, to, to look around and see that the water was still on the face of the ground, and in the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the waters of the earth were dry. And God said to Noah, Go out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives. Then take with you every living creature, the birds of the air and the creeping things of the earth, so that they may abound on the earth and be fruitful and multiply. And Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives and every living creature that was in the ark went out of the ark by family. And Noah built an altar to the Lord of every kind of clean animal and of every kind of animal that is not clean and offered it as burnt offering on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing odor, he said in his heart, never again will I curse the ground because of humankind. For every thought of their heart is evil from youth. Nor will I destroy every living thing on the earth for as long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, winter and summer, rain 
and sun, day and night, will not cease. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's Genesis, most of, Genesis 6, 7, and 8. That's a story. That's the kind of story you have to, you have to kind of caress to make our children comfortable in the classroom. Let's talk about rainbows. What do you do with a God who sends the flood? How do you, how do you hold in tension the God of the flood and the God who saves? How can, how can you swim in the waters of this story and, and still recite the psalmist, return on my soul to, to your rest for the Lord has been good to you? Those are important questions to ask. But I think if we swim a little while, there might be a few things we need to notice. Here's how the story starts. It's Genesis 6, verse 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of humankind was great in the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of their hearts was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made humankind on the earth. It grieved him to his heart. It grieved him to his heart. We, we make this story and so many other stories in the Old Testament to depict an angry God who's so disappointed at us and he's out to get us. But that's not the story, at least not in Genesis 6. It grieved God's heart. God was sad. God was sad by the corruption on the earth. God was sad by the devastation and the violence that took place in regions. God's sad when the poor go hungry and others eat until they're to their own sickness. God's sad when self-interest always finds its own way and greed always gets a free pass and retaliation becomes the commerce of humanity. God's heart is sad. And would you want it any other way? If, if you're a justice seeker, if your heart beats for justice, I'm guessing you found yourself sort of sensitive to the God of this story. If, if, if you've been witness to or experienced yourself any kind of violence, I'm guessing your heart understands the God of this story. If you've been the recipient of any kind of pain, this kind of story makes a little sense. Would you want another kind of God? Would you want God to look away? Would you want God not to notice? That's not how the story goes. The Lord saw the wickedness, and it grieved him to his heart. I don't know if this is actually true, but it kind of seems true to me. In Christian circles, we tend to pocket ourselves too often, too quickly. Maybe, maybe, maybe I'll oversimplify a little. Sometimes we pocket ourselves in the, in the God's righteousness camp, and there's just no room for grace. God's righteousness and justice demand punishment or on the flip side, we swing the other way, and God is all grace and all loving, and there's no moral order. No one's held accountable. And in each case, we minimize the Christian faith, and so we reduce God to something other than he is, and he's not acting at all like a God. And even in those cases, is grace even necessary if God looks away? Is forgiveness even required if God's not watching? That's not the story. It grieved God's heart. The wickedness, the violence, the corruption, it breaks his heart. 
the, the story goes on, you know, the, the rains pound and the storms and the waves and the, the, the waters rise above the highest mountains. Kilimanjaro's been drowned. Baker and Rainier, you can't see them. The storms pound. And then there's this line in Genesis 8. But God remembered Noah. In the midst of the swirling winds and the pounding rains and the, and the rising waters, God remembered Noah. What if the God of justice remembers you? What if God remembers you when the storm is pounding and the waves are crashing and you can't find your way out? You don't know the way out. The best you have is all the exertion you can find just to survive and you find yourself exhausted. What if God remembers you? I'm thinking of the parents I know whose little one is about to go into surgery. God remembers you. I'm thinking of the, the spouse who gathers, either maybe alone in her living room or in a sanctuary by herself, feeling so alone because her beloved is no longer here. God remembers you. I'm thinking of the college students trying to figure out her way down this Jesus road, but doesn't seem to find the right kind of people around her and feels so alone. God remembers you. And the best expression of God's memory is Jesus Christ himself. When God saw the wickedness of humankind was great on the earth, he sent his son, not the rains this time. He promised he wouldn't do that again. This time he sends his son, his only son, Jesus Christ, who took on the violence of the world. He took it on himself. It was directed towards him. He took all of the corruption on himself. And with his hands outstretched on the cross, he said, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And he went to the grave to defeat sin and death. And he rose up in resurrection so that we can be made new. God remembers you. And all of the circumstances of your life and all of the different ways pain wreaks its havoc and all of the ways you want to concede to despair, God remembers you. And the story keeps going. I don't, you may have noticed this. this I mean, it's kind of hard to see, but I, I bet you noticed it. Genesis 6, 7, and 8 are in a way an echo of Genesis 1. If you're willing to play with me, Genesis 6, 5, the Lord saw that the wickedness of humankind was great in the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of their hearts was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he made humankind on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. Wickedness, evil, sorry, Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void and darkness covered the face of the deep. Can you see sort of a parallel between the two? But it goes on. Genesis 8, verse 1, but God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and all the domestic animals that were with him in the ark, and God made a wind blow over the earth. Genesis 1, darkness covered the face of the deep while a wind from God swept over the waters. There the parallel is quite obvious. Genesis chapter 9, verse 1, God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Genesis 1, God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. What if this story is not just a story of devastation and destruction, but it's an all things new story. It's a, it's a new creation story. What if God has promised never to destroy, but only to make new now, make new in Jesus Christ who says, behold, I am making all things new. Or Paul, anyone who's in Christ is a new creation. Or as Isaiah prophesied, see, I'm doing a new thing. What if that's God's heart for the world, to do the new for you, for the whole world? What if that's true? 
and our participation. God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Not just talking about making babies, that too, of course, but fill the earth with with the life-giving presence of Christ by your life. Fill the earth with goodness and gladness and joy and hope and love and generosity. Fill the earth. That's our participation as God makes all things new. So Pillar reestablished itself 10 years ago. This is our all things new anniversary celebration. Chris and I, Pastor Chris, he was the senior pastor here at the time when we reestablished ourselves. We've been reflecting a little bit this week. Uh, We remember the uh, early on in our reestablishment, I was sitting at LJ's coffee shop across the street at a table by myself and a couple tables over, I heard some, a couple started talking about Pillar. They're like, Pillar, blah, blah, blah. And then they said, it'll never work. Chris and I laughed. One of those first Sundays, people hadn't been sitting in the balcony at Pillar for like decades. So there was no more room. So people started sitting in the balconies, but we realized we'd taken the Bibles and the hymnals out of the balcony. So a couple weeks in, I'm looking up at the balcony, and no one's singing. And it finally dawned on us because they don't have any lyrics. And that first root beer kegger, I was sure I was going to lose my job. But the Lord has been good to us. You might know the story of Pillar, established in 1847, joined quickly the RCA. Other waves of Dutch immigrants followed shortly thereafter. They essentially started another denomination called the CRC. You can forget denominational titles, but you know family pain. 1882, the family pain surfaced here at Pillar. Axe handles were used to keep some people out, chains to keep the doors locked. A lawsuit emerged, one group of Christians in the church suing the other group of Christians in the church for assets over relationship power. A division that existed for 130 years. In the mid-2000s, Chris, with this congregation, began to discern, what does God want from us? They asked two questions. What's our current reality? And what's God's preferred future? Those were the two questions. Chris sent me some of his notes from over a decade ago now. Here was one of the options. We continue on being faithful to the current ministry model. This will most likely lead to further decline and the likelihood of closing in the next two to five years. Here was another option for them. We enter a phase of church hospice or assisted living and begin working on a plan to close our doors as a congregation. Those were the options. They chose a different track. God's preferred future, they sensed, had something else in mind. But what did it have in mind? It had in mind, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. Fill the earth. Don't survive, give. Don't exist for your own sake, but offer yourselves for the good of the world. These are some of Chris's notes from way back then. A personal engagement with the community that offers Christ to all. A Christian presence that's loving to the world around us. A prevailing sense that we are here because of God's grace and purpose. The Lord has been good to you, so give yourself away. This has never been about institutional survival. It's always been about God's greater kingdom. Do with us what you will, Lord. You have been good to us, so we give ourselves away. Fill the earth with love, fill the earth with joy, fill the earth with peace, fill the earth with patience, fill the earth with goodness, fill the earth with kindness, fill the earth with faithfulness, fill the earth with generosity, fill the earth. 
God's about to do a new thing, and we get to participate. Amen? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And then early on in the reestablishment, we knew we would need food for the journey. So every week we come to this table to remember, God remembers you. God loves you. You belong to him. Despite the storm, despite the wreckage, despite the pain, God remembers you. God loves you. If you believe Jesus is Lord and acknowledge him as Savior, you're welcome to partake of communion in whatever way you're choosing to do, bread and wine, crackers and juice. If you're not at that place in life or faith, this isn't meant to be coercive. Uh, Simply reflect maybe on the things you've heard today. He comes, you're ready.